0: Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Mark, and uh, welcome to E3. We are uh, coming up to the tail end of um, our summer series, Together We Can, while we've been looking uh, really uh, throughout Scripture, trying to unpack what does it mean to be a biblical, healthy, functioning church. And we've talked about conflict and truth-telling and... and love, and generosity, and all of these kinds of of different things. And tonight we're going to be continuing our journey, talking about together we can reveal beauty. And you might think, well, why why do we need to reveal beauty? Isn't beauty obvious to everyone? and, and, And what really is beauty? and the beauty that we're specifically going to be talking about is is the beauty of of God's love for us. And you may be going, "Well, you know, most people know that or or they've been exposed to that and they've just either just flat out rejected it and people who who want to be enveloped in God's beauty or are, are, are going to do that. They're going to realize that. And and they're just going, you know, it, what really is our part? You know, why, do we even have a part? And, and why should we even pursue such a thing? And these are all legitimate questions. These are great questions. And and uh, I had a lot of these same questions, uh, you know, just going through life in my own personal spirit, you know, uh, faith journey. And uh, I was... Uh, exposed several months ago to a social experiment uh, done by the Washington Post, and and it really it really struck me. Uh, there's a artist out there. He's a violinist. And his name is Joshua Bell, and he's one known as one of the greatest violinists of our of our time. He also plays a, a two million dollar uh, priceless piece of art, uh, a violin. And he was in Washington, D.C., and he sold out the Library of Congress. And the cheapest ticket, if you could even have gotten one, was started at $100. Just to be up in the nosebleeds, just to catch a glimpse of the beauty that that, that Joshua Bell could produce on this violin. And after this happened, uh, the Washington Post contacted Joshua Bell and and said, hey, we would like you to uh, come and bring your $2 million violin and come to the the Metro, the Washington, D.C. subway system, and we'd like you just to play for 45 minutes, and we just want to see the reaction of people. You know, having this world-renowned, you know, the best violinist playing, you know, one of the best violins playing the, the most beautiful music that has uh, arguably ever been composed in human history. And this was the result. And I'm going to do commentary through the, through the video just to kind of walk you through it. Okay, right here off the left-hand side, we have Joshua Bell unpacking his $2 million violin. And he starts playing, I believe uh, this, uh, he starts with Bach. And people start, you know, there's a couple of people and they're just walking, they're going to work, this is during rush hour. He's playing and playing, nobody really uh, paying any attention yet. Just going by, just another street performer. And he plays faster. (laughs) Not really, people walk faster. Hundreds of people are just walking by, not even aware of the beauty that is around them until this. Stop right there. Go back a little bit. Back a little bit more. If possible. Okay, watch. See that pillar in the center center of the screen? You're going to see a guy walk by, and he's not sure, but they're... But there's something going on. He he realizes there's something unusual happening here, and but he can't really put his finger on it. And and what he actually walks outside and then he walks back in. Here, watch this. Here he is. He's he's walking out the door. He stops. He lets some people out. And you think, oh, he's just being polite. Then he actually, he comes back in. He doesn't really, look at his body language. He's not really sure what's going on. He even kind of scratches his head. He knows he's among beauty and greatness. He turns his back to it. He's kind of, he doesn't even really know what to do. And then he stops and listens for a little bit. And then he leaves. And then he comes back and then he's gone for good. And then you have hundreds and hundreds of people just walking by, not realizing what is going on? What is in their midst? And then finally, this one lady here, she's, she stops and she starts listening. She, she, she realizes what's going on here where nobody else does. And then finally, after 45 minutes, he, he finishes his little mini concert here. And watch what she does. I saw you at the Library of Congress. It was fantastic. This is one of those things that only could happen in D.C. Thanks. The the raw statistics they counted on it that there were 63 people that passed by before that one guy who kind of realized something special was happening, but he really couldn't put his finger on it. 63 people passed without even paying any notice of the beauty that was around him. And then he played for a, uh, a while, and it was uh, about a half an hour before he got his, his first donation and then, 45 minutes uh, went by in, in this whole thing, and 1,070 people went by. Out of that, 26 people threw some loose change in his in his case, and he, he raised a grand total of, of $36. You know, him and his $2 million uh, violin and just sold out the Library of Congress. And only one person out of 1,070 actually realized the greatness, the beauty that that was happening, this amazing thing that was happening right in their presence. The reality is that that Joshua Bell is Jesus Christ. Not literally Jesus Christ, but the the imagery of uh, that, you know what? We think, you know what? people should realize that the the beauty of the love of Jesus but the reality is that people are just so busy that they they are just rushing from one place to another they're trying to get to their job on time they're trying to get their project done that that you know moms are trying to get their kids to school they're trying to pick up their kids from school to take them to soccer practice and take them then pick them up from soccer practice to take them to karate and all these things are are good things you know students you know are trying to get to class or or trying to down download a term paper or something to or to to get it done and we're so occupied preoccupied with this our own stuff and trying to just get through life that we miss the extraordinary moment, extraordinary opportunity that we have to experience the beauty of God's love. And some of us just walk on by and we don't even realize it. Some of us may throw some money at it out of obligation. Maybe some of us don't really know what's going on. Maybe we're like that middle-aged man who, who realizes something significant is happening, but he can't really put his finger on it. Or, or, or maybe you're like the woman who, who knows, knows Jesus, has experienced Jesus and just can't believe that, that, that Jesus is right here, right now. And as a a church, one of these things of being a healthy, biblically functioning church is that we have to care about things that matter to God. Think about it this way. As a a collection of followers of Christ, as, as the church, we should be using our time, preoccupied with our time about the things that matter to God. If it doesn't matter to God, it really you know shouldn't matter to us it may be something we do but it might be just something that we really shouldn't put a lot of priority on and the truth is that that people people matter to god more than anything that the opportunity to re- have a restored relationship with his creation that it means Everything to God so much that He was willing to break the eternal fellowship that he had, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for eternity. To break that, to send Jesus Christ here, to be separated from himself, the a perfect idea of community. To break that. Why? For the opportunity, for our opportunity to come back to Him and have a relationship with Him. And, you know, if if this matters so much to God, shouldn't it matter to us? Because the reality is that we are God's agents, that we are the tangible hand here on earth. And, you think about it, someday when, when we, are, we are in heaven, we're going to be able to do everything except one thing right now. That we are going to be able to be with God. In fact, we will have an unfiltered connection with God. That we will be with one another. That we will you know, live together and love together and laugh together in this, in this idea of perfect community that we can't even fathom right now. We'll be able to do all of that except one thing. And that is reveal God's beauty to those who are rushing through the metro. Because God is absolutely pure. And once there is separation, there is is separation. And people who are there already know God's beauty. So, how do, we, how do we wrap that up? How do we understand that? How do we understand God's true passion for those who are far from Him? And one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible is found in Luke chapter 15. You may want to turn to there. We're going to be there all evening. Starts out, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. Jesus didn't hang out in a holy huddle all the time. In fact, one the, we talked about this last week, one of the biggest criticisms of Jesus was that he hung out with people whose society, especially religious people, hated. They despised them. They hated the tax collectors, the publicans. They they hated the notorious sinners. They, They just thought that they were just scum on earth, and how could God ever love them or want them? They were just dregs of the earth. And here the the Son of God is, is spending time with them and teaching them and not spending as much time with them and hanging out with them. You know, what's going on? And Jesus, hearing this and understanding that this was their attitude, that he told them three stories. And I think these three stories are very telling from the word, you know, from the mouth of God about what he. He thinks how he cares about those people who religious people discount. The first story, he starts in verse 4. He says, if you had 100 sheep, he is talking to the Pharisees here, the religious rulers of the day, and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others to go search for the lost one until you found it? And then, you would joyfully carry it home on your shoulders. When you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Religious people hate this story. It's insulting. What are you talking about, Jesus? You're, you're saying that, you know what? You're, if there's 99 of us, we're doing the right thing. We're obeying the law. You know, We're teaching Sunday school. We're serving in the red eye. We're cleaning the church. We're, we're going to growth groups. All of these kinds of things. And if one of us stray off, you're going to leave all of us unprotected from the dangers of the wolves. You're going to not be there to, to teach us and all of these things. You're going to go off by the to go find the one stupid sheep that's too dumb to kind of stay in your loving protection. You really think about this, it's not fair. It's not fair to the rest of the 99 of us who are doing the right thing. And a lot of us, to be honest with you, have kind of that, that mentality. That we think that, that we, are, we are owed some sort of extra privilege here on earth. And hopefully through the course of the evening, maybe we can challenge that kind of mindset and maybe get a better understanding of how God really sees us and what He is about. Jesus goes on from there, as He often does, to kind of compound The the story, the metaphor, the understanding. And he goes on to this next story. He says, suppose a woman has ten valuable silver coins and loses one. Wouldn't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and her neighbors to rejoice with her because she has found her lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. What? Why is there a party for the one? Why is there a party for the one lost sheep? Why is there a party for the one lost coin? Why is there so much celebration? It's not fair, Jesus. This is what the Pharisees, if you are putting yourself in there, they're like, "Look, we do our best to uphold all six hundred odd laws that that are put out. That we, you know, dress piously. We 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 go to the temple and we do all of these kinds of different things. And here you are, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and all of these people who." Who really don't don't even notice the, the, the beauty of who you are, who God is. Why aren't you rewarding us? And Jesus takes one more step and as Jesus often does, he he basically takes the proverbial knife and 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 sticks it into these, these uh, unbiblical or, or wrong-thinking wrong ideas of who God is, and he twists it. And he goes over the top with this next story. He goes on and he says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father... I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. All right, all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, you got to remember, be in the first century in Jewish ears. And basically you have a man who symbolizes God, and then you have this older brother, and he has a younger, a younger son. And this younger son comes up to his dad and he is essentially to their ears saying, Dad, you know what? You have no value to me. I don't want your guidance. I do not want your protection. I don't want your instruction. I do not want your love. I do not want to be in relationship with you. In fact, the only value that you have to me is the money that you can give me. We have just taken a huge left turn from stupid sheep or inanimate coin. Now we have a willfully rebellious person coming up to his father and telling him his wishes he was dead. And They're probably thinking, okay. You know, I know what my father would do if I came up and I kind of pulled that shenanigans with him. You know, you know. So what's going to go on? Jesus continues, said, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. What? What's going on here? Where's Jesus going with this? This is ridiculous. Why, why would the father be insulted like that and respond that way? A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. In the Greek, actually, it says he wasted his money on prostitutes, alcohol, and gambling. It's not like he, you know, invested in a sure energy company, you know, like Enron and lost his money or something like that. I mean, basically, you know, he he was doing the same thing that that so many of us do. We go on this self-destructive path and for some reason we think it's going to end differently for us than it has for anybody else, you know, for thousands of years. So he goes on this self-destructive path and and he blows all the money on hookers and drugs and, and gambling and all of these kind of things. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed the pigs. Pause right here. Remember, we're Jewish Pharisees listening to Jesus tell this story. You go, what? You know, I don't know if you know much about Judaism, but but the pig not so good. Alright? Now, now serving the pig, I mean, that's even worse. That 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 this Jewish I mean, this is this is, is about as far as you could drop is caring for pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. So I guess it could get worse. Now not only is he caring for the pigs, but he wants to eat what the pigs are eating because he has fallen so far. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, self, at home, even the hired men have food enough to spare. And I am, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, you ever in conflict in relationships and, and you've blown it, or, or somebody else has blown it, you start rehearsing what you're going to tell them? Alright, I'm going to say this, and if they say this, I'm going to say this. But if they say that, I'm going to do this, and, and all this kind of thing. 81. Yes, okay. This is exactly what he's doing. He's like rehearsing this, this kind of thing. All right, I'm going to come and I'm going to tell my dad this. And he brings up this great speech. It's amazing. It says, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. Great. Great little apology. He's got it all figured out. And I could just imagine, you know, us as the first century Pharisees hearing that going, "Uh uh-huh. He's going to come home and he's going to get a what for? So he returns home to his father. And while he was a long distance away, his father saw him coming. And if you're a Pharisee, you're thinking, okay, he's going to send out the guards, he's going to send out the dogs, you know, all this thing. That's not what Jesus says. The Father here representing God. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This, at this point, would be almost too much to take. Here we have the rebellious son who came up and told his father. You know what? You are nothing to me. I want nothing to do with you except your money. And now you have the image of God the Father actually pulling up his robes and running toward his son in anticipation you can almost imagine in the context of this story that the father was so broken hearted over this severed relationship with his son that you have this picture of him, at least I do in my mind, of him every day looking down the road thinking maybe today is the day that my son returns to me. And maybe one day he saw a speck in the distance and he was all excited and his heart started racing and as the figure came closer, he realized it was like a burrow or something like that. Maybe another day he saw something in the distance and it ended up being a caravan. But this day was different than all days as he sat and he had a vigil of looking down the road. He saw a figure, and this figure looked like it was coming closer and closer and closer. And finally, he couldn't wait any longer. And he runs toward his son. And he embraces him. And he kisses him. And he's overwhelmed with compassion. And if you were a first century Pharisee, you'd be like, this is too much to handle. Okay, it was one thing that the shepherd went after the stupid sheep because it didn't know any better. Or it was one thing at the image of God being a woman cleaning her home, trying to find the one coin because the coin didn't make a choice. But this is entirely different. This is a wholesale rejection of God. And here he is running to him and embracing him. And his son said to him, he's ready to give his speech. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I love the next part like it's like he didn't even hear him because his father said to the servants quick bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening in the pen pen we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now is returned to life he was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. I love that part. But it's crazy because like his son comes and he rehearses this beautiful speech and and dad here doesn't even listen to him. His son could have walked up to him and said, dad, I'm the tooth fairy. <laughs> and he would have not cared. It was like, it, I don't care if you're the tooth fairy, you're back. And I love you and I'm hugging you and I'm kissing you and we are going to have a party to celebrate that you are back here. This is how much God loves us. And no matter how far that we have strayed, that it is God's purpose always to restore the relationship but there was an older brother right and this older brother represents the pharisees meanwhile the older son was in the field fields working when he returned home he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on you know why he had to ask he wasn't invited he was out working he's paying for it doesn't I make you mad? The servant says, Your brother is back. And your father has killed the calf we were fattening and has prepared a great feast. We are celebrating because of his self- safe return. The brother was angry. I bet he was. And wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this reply because it's very telling. All these years, I've worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the finest calf we have. What's the mindset of the older brother here? He's a servant. He's a hired hand. He thinks that he is a hired hand, that he does things and he expects a reward. If you're a first century Pharisee, this would be like, hey, you know what, God? I keep all of these these laws and I do all these things. I expect a reward. And here you are, you know, this this." person who's meant to be your son is here eating and and hanging out with notorious sinners and, and tax collectors? Where? What about us? What about us? And I just think the last two verses are just overwhelming and hopefully will pop any unbiblical paradigm that we've held. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything I have is yours. What he's saying is, older son, you've thought that you've been a servant all of these years? You're not a servant. You and I have a relationship. That, you know what? Everything I have is already yours. If you wanted a goat, then go kill a goat. Need it with your friends. If you wanted that calf, go ahead and take it. You don't need me to throw a party for you because you are already heir to everything. And everything I have is yours. You see the different kind of mindset is going on here? That oftentimes we look at God as a, as a taskmaster where we say, you know what, I'm going to serve and I'm going to do these things. And I have fallen into this trap myself. When things don't go right or the way I want them to go, I look up to God, you know, and say, "God, I tithe. I serve. I do all these things. How about throwing me a, you know, like bone or a young goat sometimes?" I mean, just be honest, right? Yeah. And God looks at us, and this is the biblical understanding of this. This is not Mark. This is how God looks at His God. Look, everything I have is, is yours. You are a prince or a princess of the King Most High. It's already yours. And He goes on, He says, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead, and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Lost people matter to God. Your friends, your family, my friends, my family. People that go to the red eye midtown. People who are in our classes. People who are in our work. We're all susceptible to rushing through the metro, trying to get to the next thing. And we miss the beauty that is all around us. it is imperative that we realize the beauty that is around us and take the time to point it out to others. That is what it is about. That our community is to reveal the beauty which is God's love, which is Jesus Christ. And this is our one shot, our one life, that we have the opportunity to do that. And we have to be mature enough, those of us who are followers of Christ, to realize that we do not work in the field For God to give us a goat every so often. That we work in the field because we are heirs, that we are part of the family, and that everything that God has is already ours. And that frees us up to celebrate. To celebrate. Someone who was once lost and now is found. Someone who was dead, but now is alive. Someone who previously did not realize the beauty around them and now does. Let's pray. Dear God, I just pray as we go through our hurried lives that we do not miss the beauty which is You. That we don't just keep on going to the next thing and we just move, move, move. and We just think that we're trying to make a living or get through life or to the next thing, but we really realize why we're here. And God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that beats with yours that we can be about helping people restore a right relationship with you. That our community will take these things seriously as we move forward. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen we wow. <laughs>